And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Gentlemen, welcome to this Shepherd Summit today, and I appreciate you joining us. And I'm going to communicate here about who's coming and what's coming and how many people are coming. But uh, uh, we have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Richard Land. And he and I have developed a friendship, and I have been greatly encouraged by this man and what he knows about the Lord and the Lord's work. And so we're going to lean on him a little bit today as we deal with this subject matter. We're dealing with freedom's last stand, really, I believe. And uh, we have this first freedom conference coming up. But I'm not sure that people are as aware of their history as they ought to be and their heritage. Sometimes we talk about Baptist history, and it's just like it's something that you can look into and read about. But it's, a, it's an effect daily on our lives. There's some things that Baptist people have contributed to all of God's work that all of God's people should be aware of and grateful for. And that's what we're having. So uh, we're going to pray together and then have a few questions to get started. But I'm sure glad you're with us today. Let's pray together, may we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to discuss your wonderful work. And I pray that you'll guide us and help us by your spirit. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the very first thing I'm going to do is let Dr. Richard Land give a little introduction of himself, and because we're going to have him viewed like this, so you can ask him questions. I want you to know who he is. I've got a bio here, and I can read it, but it's just black and white, but here's a man who has faithfully served the Lord all these years, uh, Dr. Land, can you tell us a little bit about your salvation, how you came to know the Lord, and sure. how you became a Baptist? Yes, sir. I, well, I was, um, um, my mother uh, and father uh, joined the Baptist, Southern Baptist Church, a mission church that was started in a new neighborhood right after World War II. Um, my father wasn't saved. He didn't know it, but he got invited by the Brotherhood to go to a Billy Graham crusade in 1952, and he got saved. And, um, Amen. Became chairman of the deacons, and he was my royal ambassador uh, director. Um, I got saved when I was six and a half. Got baptized. Got baptized sixty-eight years ago this Easter. That's um, wonderful. I want to know I, the gentleman can hear you. Gentlemen, if you can give me, you can nod your hands, raise your hand, give me a thumbs up. Yeah, good, good. So everybody's I, getting it all the way through, all around. Good. Well, I got saved when I was six and a half. Um, went down uh, and made a decision for the Lord on Palm Sunday and got baptized on Easter Sunday and, uh, and in 1953. And I, I uh, in 68 years, God called, started calling me to preach when I was 14. Uh, I fought it for two years. Um, I, I grew up in a working class blue collar neighborhood, went to a working class blue collar church. And uh, the pastor was the only employee the church members had ever had. And they treated him like it. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to be abused like that. And when I finally surrendered to the ministry, I said, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. 
when I was 16, I went and asked the, my guidance counselor if I could take auto mechanics. I, every preacher I knew had to work on his old car. And so I wanted, I, and I didn't know how to work on cars. And she said, you can't do it. You're college prep. She wouldn't let me do it. And, you know, the Lord has been so good to me. Um, the people have always been generous. They've been patient. The only people that have ever been ugly to me in the ministry have been some state paper editors and a few preachers. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, the Lord has been very gracious. But um, I've been preaching since I was 16. Um, I went to Princeton University on a full scholarship and then um, went to New Orleans Baptist Seminary and then went to Oxford University and got a, a PhD in uh, historical theology and then became a professor and then academic dean and then vice president at Crystal College uh, in Dallas. And then I was called to be head of the um, then Christian Life Commission, became the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, which was the public policy agency for Southern Baptist for 25 years. And then um, uh, the last eight years, I've been president of Southern Evangelical Seminary uh, in, uh, in Charlotte, which was founded by Norm Geisler. And uh, it's, it's an interdenominational seminary, but about half of our faculty and half of our students are Southern Baptists, including me. Listen, I thank God for your past and the British is providential preparation that God has done in your life. We're trying to talk about why in the world we should have a first freedom, first amendment conference and why we should emphasize what we have. We know that the government didn't give us this, but the founding fathers did recognize it and made provision for it. And we're having that threatened right now. Could you tell us why you think it's a great idea for people to know what we have from the Lord in this first freedom and why we should teach people and emphasize this? Well, we need to know our past, uh, and we need to draw strength from our past. You can see how important it is because the, the cultural Marxists is trying to destroy our past. The only way they can change America is to have us lose confidence in our past and to reinterpret our past and destroy our past. Um, Baptists, the, 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 the peculiar gift that Baptists gave to the Reformation was soul freedom, religious freedom. Uh, the Anabaptists were for it. And then Roger Williams founded the first Baptist church in North America uh, when he was chased out of, out of Massachusetts Bay because he refused to acknowledge the Church of England and um, wrote a, wrote a uh, pamphlet called The Bloody Tent of Persecution, in which he said that, that for any man to coercively interfere with another man's relationship with his or her God was soul rape. And so mm -hmm. Roger Williams was talking about separation of church and state, separation of the garden of the church and the wilderness of the, of the, of the state um, in 1636, long before Thomas Jefferson did. And um, uh, we, we started, Roger Williams founded the first government anywhere in the Western world for over a thousand years where you were free to not worship or worship on Sunday, however you chose uh, without any civil penalty. Um, the, um, and so we, we're the ones who are responsible for the First Amendment. In fact, the First Amendment is in the Constitution because um, John Leland, who was the most famous Baptist evangelist of the early, the late colonial and early Federalist era, uh, cut a deal with James Madison. He knew James Madison. They fought together with Jefferson uh, against the, uh, the church, the state church in Virginia. And um, the Baptists were going to vote against ratification of the Constitution because they were afraid of a federal state church because nine of the original 13 states had tax supported state churches that penalized the, the non-established church. And uh, Madison and Leland met for three hours uh, in Orange County 
about five miles from Madison's home, and they cut a political deal. And the political deal was that John Leland would get the Baptists to vote for ratification, and they were the balance of power because they were they were growing like Topsy. Um, and that Madison, the first Congress under this new constitution, he would bring in an amendment that would guarantee that there'd be no government establishment of religion and no interference with the free exercise thereof. And that's the first amendment. And so the Baptists voted and Madison kept his word and brought in that amendment. And that's why it's called the first freedom. It's mentioned first. It's mentioned first for a reason because without religious freedom, all the other freedoms don't mean much. Uh, you have freedom of the press and freedom of speech and freedom of assembly in order to protect freedom of religion. It's the first freedom. And, I'm, right, uh, I'm reading, I'm reading for us here. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for its redress of grievances. First Amendment of the yes, Constitution. Sir. And we're putting that in context now with what you're saying, because when, when state churches were being exercised in nine of the original colonies and the ratification of the Constitution was called for, the Baptist leader, John Leland, who was really the spokesperson for the Baptist people, the influential people in the state of Virginia, the most influential state of all the states, all the colonies, would not lead the ratification, not voting for the Constitution, unless they had the promise of this amendment. Yes, so sir. What prompted him? Because state religion today uh, versus individual soul freedom. Let's talk a little bit about that, because uh, we don't believe it'll be handed down from the government or any authority. Uh, my my pastor, I'll talk about him a little later, taught me all of this when I just first, first started out preaching. But uh, why is this so very important, and what did it do to the founding of America? Well, it made us champion for religious freedom. And interestingly enough, most of the state churches um, um, that became see the the First Amendment does not does not outlaw a state having a a state church. It says the federal government should not have a state church. Um, and so now let's stop of, right there just a minute. So the government. Our government was designed so that it's not over us and we're not over them, but we're That's working right. side by side here. And, well, and, uh, and, and, and see, you people, when I tell people this, they say, well, how come there isn't a, a Mormon state church in Utah or a Catholic state church in Louisiana? Well, the reason is the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which, which uh, each state had to ratify to get back into the Union after the Civil War. And basically what the 14th Amendment says, among other things, is that anything the federal government is forbidden from doing in the, in the Constitution, state governments and local governments are forbidden from doing too. And mm -hmm. so, um, for instance, during my tenure at the Christian Life, at the Christian Life Commission, uh, we went to court because um, in Connecticut, in Danbury, Connecticut, of all places, where the, the Baptist ministers wrote Jefferson and asked for, for relief from the state church, uh, a, a, the zoning commission wouldn't let, a wouldn't let a couple have a Bible study in their own home because it caused parking problems. And they lost in state court, but they went to federal court and the federal judge said, uh, haven't you ever heard of the First Amendment to the Constitution? The government is it because now now it doesn't now what it means is not Congress. It means government. Government shall make no 
uh, establishment of religion, nor interfere with the free exercise thereof. So you can have a Muslim county that wants to have a Muslim government in, in, in that county. They can't do it. Uh, they'd have to change the Constitution to do it. Um, and so we have, and, and, and religion has flourished in America precisely because it's voluntary. It's not coerced. 40% um, of adult Americans have changed their religious belief. They've gone from one denomination to another. And, that, and that's one reason we're so healthy because we can do that without fear of, of being penalized. Um, you know, there are a few cases where, where families will get upset, but you, you, know, you don't lose your job. You don't get put in jail. So people, when they go to church, they go to church because they want to go to church. It's voluntary. And voluntary religion is the best religion. You know, um, the last thing we should ever want is government-sponsored religion, because all you have to do is look at the empty cathedrals of Europe. Government-sponsored religions get like getting hugged by a python. It squeezes all the life out of you, and you fall over dead. Mm. Well, now, let's bring this to our present context right here today. Yes, sir. Uh, preachers are being told not to meet, not to assembly not to preach, not to sing. And the government is trying to interfere with, with a world that we have acknowledged. There's a kingdom that is the kingdom of this world. And then there's the kingdom that's a spiritual kingdom. And we're not trying to be in conflict and, and create a war. But the fact of the matter is, we're saying that we are free. God made us free. And our government has recognized our freedom. So how is this... In, in, how, how are these uh, forces today being moved against us? Well, I'm, I've been very disappointed, frankly, with the tepid response from too many churches who've just rolled over and played dead when some tin pot governor or some tin pot county commissioners told them they can't, they can't meet. Now, I think right. that we, we, the churches need to try to observe the social distancing. They try to, need to try to observe the, the health regulations that are laid down. But uh, we, we have a commandment from God to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And, 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 and I believe that, that we have to obey. Jesus gave us the, the marching orders. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's. And ultimate authority is to be given to God. I love John MacArthur's response when he continued to have services and, and the county commissioner said, well, we may, we may throw you in jail. And he said, well, you know, I've never had a prison ministry. It's a good time to start one. <laughs> and then he said to his people, welcome to this peaceable assembly. That's uh, right. So that's what's in the Constitution. Well, it is. Let me and, ask and, you. And I, how, I think if, if we don't exercise our freedoms, we're going to lose them. Exactly. Exactly. I want the most good to come out of this day when you're visiting with us to help pastors talk to their people. And uh, I think there has to be an educated flock to understand what individual soul liberty is. Yes, sir. That's a, that's a phrase that isn't even used by some people, but it, it has everything to do with the way we approach things, recognizing that each person has a, a conscience that's free and we're not trying to force something. You know, you can't force anyone to be a Christian. You can't coerce anyone to be a Christian. You can't force anyone to live the Christian life. But all these things are at the root of this issue that we're dealing with right now. So we don't want to be mandated by the government. We want to be law-abiding 
citizens and the best examples of a citizen we can possibly be. But when the law or some judicial act or some act by some, some board, uh, city board or county board wants to eliminate our freedom, then we, not, we have to protest. What right do we have to protest, Dr. Land? Well, we have every right to protest. Um, I think that uh, right now we have a sympathetic Supreme Court um, because of Mr. Trump's um, appointments. Um, uh, I've been very disappointed in John Roberts, who seems to have gone over to the dark side. But without even without Roberts, we've got five votes now. Um, right. and, and, uh, and, and I'll tell you, Sam Alito has been the leader on this. Sam Alito always refers to the First Amendment, to religious freedom as the first freedom the first freedom. And um, it's absolutely essential that we, we, we exercise it and not let the government coerce it, not let the government co-opt it. Um, we, we have to obey God rather than man. And, and I, I will say that I, I have had to confess to the Lord. Um, I, was, I didn't go to worship for three Sundays because we were, we were having virtual worship uh, at the church I attend here in Charlotte. And then they opened back up the virtual and in, in, in the congregation. And I've been going to the congregational one. And, you know, I got to tell you, I, I had taken public worship for granted. Uh, there is something magical about simultaneously having vertical relationship with God and horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is that you just don't get virtually. You just don't get it uh, when you're doing it virtually. And it's, right. it, it's one reason why God told us not to not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. As you know, um, none of us can be all that God wants us to be. We can't plumb the depths or scale the heights or embrace the breadth of all that Christ has for us apart from active and regular fellowship in a local church. Because we, we need to have ministered to us the gifts that our brothers and sisters have just as we minister our gifts to them. I want to ask you some questions that are on topics that people bring up today. Um, things like, uh, white superiority and, you know, uh, all the racial issues that are being, uh, being almost invented to use and people are trying to promote freedom in this, but really they're eliminating our personal freedom in it. Well, that's so, right. Talk it's, about it. it's Marxism. Um, the, the critical race theory and, um, identity, um, Define politics. what identity politics happen to be, and what do you call when we say critical race uh -huh. theory? What do you what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by it is that it's it's cultural Marxism. It, it's been around for a while, um, and it it is a belief that uh, we are defined by our uh, ethnicity, and I'll use the word ethnicity because the Bible tells us we only have one race, the human race. You know, Adam, Eve mm -hmm. is the mother of all living, but um, we're defined by our ethnicity and by our gender. The two things we have no control over. We have no control Can't over. Change. change that. Right, but, but you're judged by that. So for instance, if I'm a white person and I live in, in America, uh, I am, I, I'm, a, I'm a racist. If I say I'm not a racist, then I am a racist. That proves I'm a racist. <laughs> I mean, by definition, they say I'm a racist. And by definition, uh, I'm a chauvinist because I'm, I'm a male. And, and both of those are wrong. But, the, the, you know, it's the exact opposite of what Dr. King did. You know, people forget that Dr. King was a Baptist minister. And the civil rights revolution of the 60s was based upon uh, Christian theology. He says, I, I dream of a country where we'll not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. 
-hmm. Now, it, cultural, ra cultural racism um, and, and, and cultural Marxism and, and uh, critical race theory, everyone's judged by their ethnicity. Everyone's judged by their ethnicity. And, and we're judged by, in groups. And, and, and it's it, it will rip our country apart. If it takes hold, it will rip our country apart because um, we, are, we are a unique country. We're the only country in the world that is not founded on blood or soil. We come from all different ethnicities and we're united behind a common belief in the principles that are outlined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If we lose those and we begin to judge each other by ethnicity, then we're gonna, we're gonna the, the centrifugal force will, will rip us apart. It'll rip us apart. And, and we will see the, the um, uh, we'll see tribalism emerge um, and, and division. And, and it will be, uh, it, it, will, it will render our country um, asunder. Um, and we have to, we have to uh, understand, tell people, look, the anthropology of critical race theory is the exact opposite of the, of the anthropology of the Bible. Just take Ephesians 2, which I, I, I think right now, over the last year or so, I've been studying it a lot. And I think I may, I may vote it the best chapter, the most important chapter in the Bible. In mm. Ephesians 2, we have the complete outline of salvation and 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 uh, and its results, we were dead in trespasses and sin. We're resurrected to newness of life. Um, we are made to sit in the heavenlies. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but the gift of God. But we are saved. we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do, do good works. So He has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. And then He broke down the middle wall, the, the, the partition between the Jews and the Greeks, and He made of the two one new man. And the word "new" there is the word for new of a totally different kind. You know, for instance, when they made the atomic bomb, that was a new kind of bomb that had never existed before. Well, what Ephesians 2 is telling us that at Pentecost, God finished the creation of a new kind of human being that had never existed before. A human being who is permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit when they're born Amen. again, Jesus Christ. And that makes Christians, Christians post-Pentecost a new kind of human being. That's why he says it's neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither bond nor free, because we're a new kind of person. We're, we're born again from above, and we're a new kind of human being that didn't exist before. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Now, so some people will say a Christian should not get politically involved. And they mean by that, I think, in a narrow way, involved in any type of political venture or whatever. We try to register all of our people to vote. We try to encourage all of them to vote. We encourage people who want to serve, who feel that God may call them and lead them into a type of service in the political life. So what place does a, a, a true Christian have in this kind of government? Now, we can't, we can't insist on everybody being a Christian but we want to use the influence. That's the greatest weapon we have. The greatest tool we have in our hands is our influence. Mm -hmm. It's not coercion, but influence. Well, so, I, what, I, that. I think that there are, there are five wrong models and one right model. The five wrong models are number one, that the church, that the state compels uh, religion. It, it, it's against the law not to go to church, or not to go to the mosque. Uh, the second well, let's, wrong let's, is- Let's get that. Get that down. Number one, again. Number one, again. The government, the government compels religion, it, and it it defines it and compels it. That was the way that was in the Middle Ages. If you weren't Catholic, you, you might get killed. 
Uh, if you're a, if you're not a Muslim in, in, part, in parts of the world today, you, you might get killed. Then the second wrong one is that the government forbids religion. That'd be um, the Soviet Union um, uh, in, in some parts, in some years, communist China, countries that just outlaw religion altogether. And then the third wrong wrong view is um, that um, some of our, our more radical friends who say that all government is bad and we shouldn't have anything to do with government. We shouldn't serve in government. We shouldn't have an oath of allegiance to the government. Um, you know, the government's evil. Now, that's not true. Romans 13 says God ordained the government to do certain things, to punish evil and to reward those who do that which is right. And that we should be, we should be um, uh, subject to the government for conscience sake. It's, it's, it's one of the only, I can only find three divinely ordained institutions in, in the Bible, the family, um, the church and government. Amen. Then the, the fourth wrong view is that we should just do evangelism and not worry at all about um, about any social issues. Um, for instance, we should preach the gospel, but not worry about slavery or not worry about segregation or not worry about extreme poverty. Um, to me, that's that's just wrong. We, we, we certainly always primacy is on the gospel, but you can't preach the gospel and ignore that somebody is hungry and thirsty. And, 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 and it's homeless. You know, you got to, you tell them about that in our father's house are many mansions, but you can't ignore the fact that they're, they're homeless. We need, to, we need to reach out and try to help them. Um, then the fifth wrong view is that we just do, we just do social gospel. We don't preach the gospel. We just do social gospel and just try to alleviate um, um, poverty and alleviate suffering and not preach the gospel. All five of those are wrong. Then the right one is that we, as salt and light, seek to influence the government. To do the right thing, we make we make moral arguments. It's what Dr. King did with the Civil Rights Revolution. It's what George Whitfield did. You know, um, the, the 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 evangelical revolution um, led to uh, doing away with a lot of social evils, including slavery. All of the early anti-slavery movements in the United States were started by evangelicals, North and South, North and South. And uh, we we uh, we we are to be salt and light, but we don't allow the government to to union to be in union with 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 the church because the government's always going to get it wrong they're always going to get it wrong and so the church must be free um and we 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 as salt and light try to influence the government salt preserving against evil light penetrating the darkness um and and we are to do both um i, I think that it's a sin not to vote personally i think that we need to be informed voters and we need to vote. And our allegiance does not belong to any political party. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And um, God's not a Republican, but he is pro-life. <laughs> and if, if one party insists on being pro-abortion and one party insists on being pro-life, well, I believe Christians have an obligation to support the, pro, the party that's, pro, that's pro-life. That doesn't mean we support everything they do. Um, any political party, political parties are exceedingly human institutions. And they're flawed. And, and, and they're going to take advantage of you if you let them. And one of my goals has always been try to keep evangelicals from being taken for granted by the Republicans the way the, the, way the Democrats take for granted the blacks. They take for granted the black vote and, 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 and don't do for them uh, between elections. I, I said, we, we, don't, we shouldn't be endorsing candidates. We should be looking for candidates who endorse us. They should be endorsing us and our values, and our beliefs, and our convictions. Um, Put yourself in a political position as a governor mm -hmm. or a person who's a mayor of a city, and uh, you 
you would think that you would be a Christian who would understand these five wrongs and one right. So make some application of that. Well, um, I think that uh, my, my, my Christian faith would lead me as a governor, for instance, to work to um, uh, make um, hardcore pornography as illegal as I could and prosecute it, uh, prosecute the pornographers. Uh, and at the same time, to encourage um, the churches and other religious institutions to um, uh, educate Uh, the citizenry on as, as salt stopping the gifts. We can't just say drug, drug they don't have. We need to talk about why God created sex. And we need to encourage uh, religious groups to do that. Um, but we don't, we don't make it the law that they have to do this or that. Um, uh, I think that we, we as uh, Christians try to influence the government. Uh, Martin Luther King in his letter from the Birmingham jail said that the Christian, the church's role is to be a thermostat, setting the spiritual temperature of society, not a thermometer, merely reflecting it. I wanna ask you this question. Now you're speaking to pastors, and these are good godly men who have sincere hearts, who love the Lord, who hold to the doctrine of inerrancy of scripture, who believe the Lord's returning. Uh, most every one of them would be uh, premillennial, pre-trib premillennials, but uh, I, I want to ask you, what has gone wrong with churches across America when there's been a, a loss of identity and a loss of doctrinal preaching? In other words, uh, years ago, it was more, uh, there was more of an emphasis on just keeping people occupied and entertained while they were there. But I, I came along at the tail end of a generation where the pastor was teaching us. I learned individual soul liberty from my pastor. I earned learned that you can't force a person to do things. It was because God, God made him that way. It had to be volunteerism and that type of thing. What, where, where has this backfired, all this fun church stuff? Well, um, I think to some degree, evangelicals have been the victim of their own success. Um, when I was a teenager in the 60s, evangelicals made up about 17% of the population self-identified evangelicals. Uh, now we make up about 35. Excuse me for interrupting you, but I want you to identify the term evangelical. How okay. broad, how narrow, whatever. Okay, would you please do that? Yes, sir. I'd be glad to. Evangelicals are people who believe um, that uh, salvation is in Jesus Christ alone, the virgin-born Son of God who came and died on the cross for our sins and um, was resurrected on the third day and is coming back to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, and that uh, Jesus is the only way to salvation. And, and as a result of that, they, they engage in, in, in evangelism, thus they're called evangelicals. Um, uh, a lot of Baptists, not all Baptists, unfortunately, some Baptists uh, have, have become um, uh, apostate, um, but uh, the Baptist denomination, the Bible churches, um, uh, as most of, the, most of the evangelical free church, um, uh, the, the conservative Presbyterians who have broken off from the, from the older, the, the apostate Presbyterians. Um, but I think evangelicals have been a victim of their own success. As I said, in the 60s, we were about 17% of the population. 
uh, and and people you know people thought Jimmy Carter was a nut when he said he was a born again Christian. He wasn't he wasn't a nut. He was just wrong because if he is one, he's a pretty poor example of one. Um, but um, the the um, um, uh, now we got a lot of children. We, we're now thirty five percent of the population. We have people who've grown up in evangelical churches, and they think they're evangelical, but it never took. They never internalized it. And so I, I've had a conversation, two conversations with with quote, evangelical leaders in the last month, where they've said to me, well, you know, Richard, I've decided that God accepts um, monogamous same-sex relationships. And my response was, you've decided. You've decided. Who gave you the authority to decide? God's made this pretty clear. It's, it's water for crystal clear. God does not accept um, monogamous uh, same-sex relationships, period. It's an abomination to him. Um, but you know, they, say, they think they're free to say, I've decided. You know, the Bible's inspired in spots, and they're inspired to spot the spots. What my friend Paige Patterson calls Dalmatian theology. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the spots they think are inspired are the, are the spots they agree with. And the spots that convict them are the, part, are the spots they don't agree with. Um, yeah. and, and I think that, that uh, we, we've, we've, become at, we've become at ease in Zion. Um, Amen. have become too much at ease in Zion. And now we're no longer in Zion. We're getting ready to be in a Babylonian captivity. We're in a very hostile situation. Our, our federal government is hostile. Uh, they, are, they, are, they are in the process of weaponizing the government against, against us. And, uh, and you Would you repeat it. that? You repeat that? They're weaponizing the government. Yes. It, it, push that a little bit. I, I need to understand well, what you're saying. They're, um, they're trying to, for instance, this um, um, Equity Act that they're trying to pass, if it passes, they explicitly take out the protection that is given in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. There's no religious, um, there's no religious exemption for um, um, being uh, persecuted, pro prosecuted if you uh, refuse to hire somebody who's transgender um, to work in your church or to work in your church ministry. Um, and you've seen this in the blue states hostility. To, to religion during the during this pandemic in Nevada, for instance, they let they let casinos stay open, but churches could only be at ten percent of capacity. Uh, Ted Cruz said, "Well, maybe I ought to put a crap table in the sanctuary, then you could be open full full blurring. <laughs> you just put put a dice table in the middle of the sanctuary. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, in in New York, uh, they had restrictions on churches, but they had WalMarts open. They had all kinds of places. The liquor stores were open, but not not churches. It's just pure hostility." Uh, so the government being weaponized against whom? Against, 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 against conservative Christians. Against yes. Christians who will not bow the knee to the government. And, yes. and make no mistake about it, the, the, the uh, radical, homosexual, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, questioning, whatever alphabet it is, um, they do not want toleration. They want affirmation. And they want to they want people who will not affirm their lifestyle to be marginalized at the same level as the Ku Klux Klan. They want they want to make us the Klan and ostracize us from culture. Well, now, what is the answer? The gospel. What must churches do? What must pastors and preachers do? What's the answer? Uh, develop backbone. Preach the word, not be not be cowed. Um, not not be intimidated, not be silenced. Um, you know, we, 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 if we don't exercise our freedom, we're going to lose it. Um, Amen. You cannot accommodate um, people who want to, us to be silent. 
um, we can't be silent. We have an obligation. Uh, you know, I remember I was in a meeting where uh, I was asked if, if uh, Jews need to be saved. And about half the audience was Jewish. And I said, yes, they do. Um, uh, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And, and um, uh, so afterwards, a rabbi came up to me and said, okay, I know you believe that, but do you have to say it? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, said, I said, my faith has in it something called the Great Commission. And if, if, the, if the price of respecting my faith, of respecting your faith, is to deny my faith, the price is too high. I have an obligation to tell you the truth. And, and I said, now look, let, let me be very clear here. It was, it, it was just him and his wife and my wife and me after the session. I said, um, if I get to heaven and I discover that I somehow misunderstood Jesus, I'm not going to be upset. But what would upset me is if I didn't tell you the truth and at the great white throne judgment, you said, why didn't you tell me the truth? Just because you, just before you get thrown in the lake of fire. And his wife said, oh my God. I said, right, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, let me ask this question. We, we're praying for revival. Yes, sir. And there was a, there was a great Southern awakening with the uh, Stubel Stearns, Shubel Stearns, Shubel Stearns, yes, Sandy Creek came down from Massachusetts. And you know, that was a very short period of time, but it was a pivotal moment in our history, in the history of our nation. It was so pivotal. It only lasted, his, his life and ministry there was only 14 or 15 years. But uh, I want you to talk a little bit about that because we're praying for God to send that kind of awakening. John Leland was also part of that. And uh, he came down from Massachusetts as well. And, um, the Great Awakening started in, this, in, 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 in New England in 1734 um, and, and resulted in what became Princeton University in New Jersey. And then it went south and it went to Sandy, went to North Carolina and it exploded. Uh, the south went from being the least religious part of the country. When the, when the Great Awakening started, the least religious part of the country was the south. You know, the, the, people, the Puritans came to the north. They came to New England to do good. And people came to the South to do well. They came to do business. And um, uh, we went from being the least religious to the most religious, and we've stayed the most religious. Um, the Southeast and the Southwest of the United States uh, have the highest percentages of church-going, uh, Bible-believing Christians. Um, and, and God placed that Sandy Creek is where all the wagon trains that were going West came through there, and they provisioned there to go across the Appalachian. And when they left, they all had a Baptist church on because they had enough converts that they, they started the Baptist church. And that's how Baptists went from being a small persecuted sect to being the largest denomination in the country um, by 1800 and remained so until the great Catholic immigrations uh, that came with the Irish uh, in the 1820s and 30s and then um, the Italians after that. Um, and we're still the largest Protestant denomination by, by a large measure. Um, <clears throat> and and most people think that it, it helped win the revolution. That it, um, we can only find one Baptist preacher in the entire country that supported the crown during the revolution. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he was a guy who, who was a missionary from Wales who came to America as a 34-year-old man. Uh, every other Baptist preacher in the entire country supported the revolution. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but the revolution was not overwhelmingly supported. Uh, best we can tell, about a third of the people were active revolutionaries, and about a third of the people were loyalists, and about a third of the people said, just don't fight on my farm. 
<laughs> uh, the, the revolution was a real civil war. Now the civil war wasn't. The civil war was a war between sections of the country. Um, there, were, there weren't any Confederates in Minnesota and there were not very many unionists in Mississippi. The only place where the civil war was a civil war was in places like Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri, um, where you had people on both sides. But in the American Revolution, you had fathers and sons against each other. For instance, Benjamin Franklin's son, Richard Franklin, was a loyalist, a Tory. And when, when, when we won the revolution, he moved to England and he considered his father a traitor. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was a real civil war. Um, but among the Baptists, among the Congress during the Great Awakening, in fact, the British called the Puritan, called the Protestant ministers, uh, other than the Church of England, they called them the Black Regiment because of their black robes that they wore and that they were all supporting the revolution. To, to give me just uh, a few moments, please, about why we need to have this conference. I'm getting here, uh, this, this brochure, this conference, and uh, we're trying to promote this the First Amendment Conference, our first freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly. Uh, you're coming to be the keynote speaker on Sunday, on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we'll have meetings at 10 o'clock in the morning at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, Dr. Herb Samworth, who teaches our Baptist history and distinctives here, uh, and I'm encouraging our men, if they haven't had that course, to take it. It's online, it's available. And uh, he'll be talking about um, the Sandy Creek Revival. He'll be talking about um, uh, Obadiah Holmes and uh, Shubal Stearns and um, by the way, other by speakers. The way, Brother Clarence, uh, yes. I've, actually, I've actually inquired of the Sandy Creek Baptist Church if I could be buried there. Because uh, <laughs> when Bradford when the rapture comes, uh, I want to say hello to Shubal on the way up. Yes. Um, they're, 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 they may let me do it. Um, I, I haven't convinced my wife that it's a good idea yet, but uh, <laughs> there is a Sandy Creek Baptist Church that's right there, right there where Sandy Creek um, happened in North Carolina. I'll ask you a question. Why would you encourage these men to come and spend three days with us? What is what is history and Baptist history and distinctives and the idea of sealing in our hearts to make us the evangelical people we ought to be with a thrust for evangelism and soul winning and witnessing over this idea of our first freedom. What's, what's the, what's, why should people be here? Well, I believe, I believe that, um, that, uh, we, we um, are in a critical moment. We're, 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 in, we're in grave danger of losing the freedoms that we inherited uh, from our, our forefathers. They passed them down to us and we're in the process of possibly losing them. They're under severe assault and uh, we've got to defend them and we've got to defend them vigorously. And in order to do so, we've got to, we've got to know how they came to be. You know, William Faulkner often said that the past is not very far away. Actually, it's not, not even past. It's, it's right there with us. We are impacted by our past. Uh, we're impacted by the heritage that we inherited from our forefathers. And I believe we have an obligation to try to pass it on to our children and our grandchildren, uh, undiminished and unsullied. And uh, we are getting ready to be severely tested. Um, make no mistake about it. Um, the Biden administration um, is setting up a war on what they call domestic terrorism. 
And that means anybody who disagrees with them. And the cultural Marxists uh, want to tear down our past, take, you know, taking Abraham Lincoln's name off of high schools and taking, they want to uh, do away with the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. Um, and, and of course, they're being, they have a double standard. They're not talking about taking away Franklin Roosevelt's memorials. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt threw 120,000 Japanese in concentration camps. Um, you know, no, no, no leader of the past is perfect. Um, but uh, my goodness gracious, uh, without Washington and without Lincoln, it's, it's impossible to understand America. Without Roger Williams, it's impossible to understand America. Uh, without the, the great religious and political leaders of the past, uh, it's impossible to understand the freedoms we have. Um, we have precious freedoms that, that have enabled us to um, have the gospel flourish in America like it's flourished in northern country. And to, uh, we still provide 90% um, of the funding and about 85% of the manpower of the worldwide missionary effort of the Christian faith. Uh, and, and it comes out of America. Um, if America um, ceases to be a God-fearing people, uh, we're, we're in deep trouble. And, and of course, a lot of our people are not God-fearing. Um, one of the things I think we need to help, we have an obligation to remind people if we really love them, we're gonna tell them the truth. And the truth is, if God would judge Israel, which is his chosen people, we're not. We're not his chosen people. I believe that God, for whatever reason, has, has, has um, been especially interested in the United States. Uh, it's, it's impossible to understand our history apart from God's blessing. Uh, nobody could be that lucky. But um, if we, if we, um, if, if we in insist on our, our national religion of narcissism and our, our moral uh, failures, if God would send his chosen people into a Babylonian captivity, he'll, sit, he'll judge America harshly. Well, we know, we know it's either revival or that. I mean, we've got to have a spiritual awakening, but it must begin with God's people. Who's responsible? Who's responsible to take the lead in all of this? Who is responsible? Well, I believe, I believe that, that, that the answer is in the pulpit. Um, you, you look at, uh, at what Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah to tell the people in the fifth chapter of Jeremiah. Um, he said, um, the priests, the preachers preach falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And he says, shall mm -hmm. I not visit for these things? Does he that formed the ear not hear? Does he that shaped the eye not see? And will I not visit for these things? But you notice what he starts with. The, the preachers preach, the priests preach falsely. And, and, and then the people rule by that. If the, the gospel is a, a, a hammer that breaks the rock, if the gospel is being preached, the true unadulterated gospel is being preached, then um, the people are going to repent. But we, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of pulpits that are sounding kazoos, not prophets horns. Um, <laughs> and we've got, and, 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 and backbone is in serious, serious um, uh, neglect among our preachers. We've got too many preachers who, who are preaching stuff that's pleasing to people's ears. I mean, I've had people, I've had, I've had Baptist preachers tell me, I never preach on abortion because I got too many people in my congregation that have had them. Well, that's, that's a reason to preach on it right. because uh, they need to, they need to know what they've done and they need to repent of it and they need to know they can be forgiven. Um, Amen. But, but we, we, we got too many preachers who are, are, are trimming the gospel and not preaching the true, the true gospel because they're afraid 
um, and, and, and they're being intimidated. Uh, and we, we I think that I think that there's so many pastors who have diminished their thinking about their own influence. My pastor, Dillard Hagen, never pastored a church, I don't think, and had over 200 people. But these principled things that we've been talking about today, he instilled in me. Mm -hmm. he, he, God used him to set my heart on fire for the truth, for standing for the truth. It was under his ministry. God called me to preach. And uh, the Lord used him because he was speaking the truth. He was speaking the truth and speaking the truth. And, and God used that. And all these men who are listening to us today and, and who will see this video when it's posted, and uh, there'll be lots and lots of them, hundreds of pastors will see this. They need to know that God wants to use them, that the people in their congregations can be better mothers, better fathers, better attorneys, better doctors. Uh, and they may even feel the call of God to get into uh, political life in some sort of service in a civil way because of the preaching of the truth that they preach in, in, in the Bible. Uh, do you, do you feel the same way about this? Absolutely. The power uh, of the pulpit. The, the pulpit is key. Um, and you know, second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, what that tells me, that's a conditional promise. God has some promises in the Bible that are unconditional, and he has some that are conditional. That's a conditional promise. And the conditional promise is that if the people who are called by his name, in Old Testament, that was Israel. In, in New Testament, it's the people of God, whatever country they're in. Um, if we do certain things, God will do certain things. If we don't, he won't. And so the sobering fact is, that whether America has a future worth having doesn't depend mm. on what the lost people do. It depends on what the saved people do. Um, the, the future of America is being decided one couple at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time throughout the United States. And, and we, we need to pray that, that preachers are preaching the, the true word of God and preaching repentance and salvation and forgiveness and, and holiness. And, 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 and people are responding. And because, you know, that's, it, it's going to depend on whether the church is, whether the gospel is being preached and whether or not the, the, um, uh, the, the response comes. You know, uh, I've had people say to me, well, you know, Dr. Land, I, I really agree with what you're saying, but you understand I can't afford to say so publicly. And I'm going, you know, whose ministry are you in? I'm more afraid yeah. of what God will do to me if I don't tell the truth than what men will do to me if I do tell the truth. And, and all of us in the pastorate need to remember something very sobering. And that Hebrews 13 says that we're going to give an account of our, of our under shepherdship. Um, that, and if, 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 if uh, people oppose us, then, then we'll do it with, with grief for them. But we're going to give an account. I, I'm going to give an account. You're going to give an account to, to the great shepherd. Uh, over our, for our response, how, how we shepherded the flock. I mean, that's a sobering thing. And then, you know, what I want on my tombstone is Paul's taking leave of the Ephesian elders. And he said, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I did not hesitate to preach unto you the whole counsel of God. 
Now, Amen. You know, it, that, that implies, of course, I'm not a Calvinist, so you know, it implies that if you don't do that, you are not innocent of the blood of all men, that you, your preaching can make a, an eternal difference in people's lives. And, and, and I believe that we have an obligation and a responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. That means we don't just, pre we don't just preach dessert. We preach the castor oil right along with it. And we, 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 <laughs> pre we, preach, the, we preach the spinach and the broccoli sprouts and the asparagus right along with it. Uh, we're going to give the whole larder. Uh, you know, there's some things in the Bible that anybody, people say to me, well, Dr. Lane, you move around a lot when you're preaching. I said, yeah, because I'm stepping on my own toes first. Uh, mm -hmm. I got to preach it myself before I can preach it to anybody else. And, and, and did, there's the word of God to convict everybody. Did you know we normally have questions and answers, and I just haven't felt impressed to stop you and, and get questions. But I want the people to know when you're here with us and uh, this special meeting, starting April 11th on Sunday, April 12th and 13th, the, uh, the whole idea is that we're going to have a panel each day. They'll be able to ask questions uh, after the morning preaching and uh, after the sessions. And then in the evening, we're going to have preaching and God's going to use that, but they'll be able to ask and have fellowship. We'll have a meal together every day. We'll have a meal after the morning sessions together, and there'll be pastors and people who can ask questions and talk there. I'm just saying to the men who are listening and watching that this is a, it's a marvelous opportunity to nail some things down, to strengthen the inner man and be ready to do what God's given us to do in this pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment in our history and our ministry, and God is preparing us for this. So I want to encourage the men who are listening today to send us an email. Send us an email about hearing Dr. Land today, and we'll forward it to him. And uh, just send it our way and let us, let us know how much you appreciate it. I, I, I would appreciate all of you doing that. Sometimes people don't need that type of encouragement. They're going to go on anyway. But uh, And I want to send all of you who will request this little booklet I put together on why I'm a Baptist. It includes some things in it about what we've talked about today. And then I want to say this to you. Our Baptist History and Distinctive course is offered uh, through Crown Seminary, uh, taught lectures by Dr. Herb Samworth. I'm going to offer to you, it's an eight-week online course, three credit hours. And the course is normally, uh, of course, uh, costly as far as the cost is concerned. There's a fee of $735. And uh, if you're uh, an alumnus, uh, you get a discount and all that. But I want to say to all of you who would like to sign up for that, we want to give you that for half the price. But I want you to get these things done in your Baptist history and distinctives. Great course, great help to reinforce what I've been talking about today. But I'm looking forward to seeing many of you here at our First Amendment conference, our first freedom on the 11th and the 12th and the 13th of April. Dr. Land, we can't thank you enough. Every word I've been hanging on myself. I'm sure it's been a little selfish on my part because I, I, didn't, me, want to give, I didn't want to give anybody else sure. any time. I wanted to hear everything you had to say. Well, I, I want, as I told you, when I come, I'm, I want to be available. I'll, 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 answer, I'll answer questions as long as people want to ask them. Um, but, you know, I'm going to close on a, on a, on a humorous note. Um, there were these four 
clergyman who went on an ecumenical fishing trip. And um, there was a Catholic priest and a Methodist minister and a Presbyterian minister and a Baptist minister. And they got into an argument about what denomination the Lord was going to be when he comes back. Now, these were, these were conservatives, so they believed he was coming back. And uh, the Catholics said, well, there's no question he's going he's to identify with Mother Church, uh, the Roman Church. And the Presbyterian took vigorous exception and said, no, 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 no. When you consider all that John Calvin and John Knox did for the Christian faith, uh, he's going he's gonna to identify with the, the uh, Reformed tradition. And then the Methodists said, oh, no, no, no. When you consider all that John Wesley did, all that the Methodism has meant to the, to the faith and George Whitfield and others, um, uh, he's going to identify with the Methodist connection. Well, the Baptists looked genuinely perplexed for a few moments, and they said, but boys, I don't think he's going to change. <laughs> oh, man. Fellas, I would encourage you to send an email here to Dr. Hey, Land. Sir, yes, sir. You take every church in the New Testament, and you describe it, and people will tell you, well, that's a Baptist church, except the church at Corinth. And they say, it used to be a Baptist church, but you got kicked out of the association for speaking in tongues. <laughs> and who wants the Corinthian church anyway? It's the sorriest church in the New Testament. Listen, Dr. Lamb, would you lead us in prayer and pray for these ministers who have been yes, watching sir. and listening today? Yes, sir, because I want to tell you, you know, um, uh, when you're going the same direction as the devil, you don't run into it. But when you're, when you're, and leading the war against the devil, the devil comes after you. So all of these men, uh, we need to keep, look, when we, when we go out, we are, when we leave our home, we're, be, we're going beyond the wire. We're in enemy territory. Right. And the devil will be after us. We, we better be armed. We better be alert. What is it that Paul says? Um, uh, walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And, and the word uh, evil there is the word for active, aggressive evil. And so um, men um, stay close to the Lord and, and watch out. The devil's going to be after you because if he can get you, uh, that's like shooting a general in the other army. Um, you know, the snipers don't go after the enlisted men. They go after the officer. And the devil, the devil's, the devil's iron, aiming his fiery darts at us, uh, looking for chinks in our armor. Lead us in our closing prayer, will you please? Father, I just thank you for... Um, Brother Clarence, I thank you for the tremendous ministry you've given him there. Pray for all of these men that have heeded your call and, and gone into ministry and are preaching the gospel. Father, I pray that you'll anoint them as they prepare to mount the sacred desk this Sunday and preach. May, may you even now be preparing the hearts and the minds of those who will hear their sermons, uh, that there will be uh, eternal victories won for the cause of the kingdom. And I pray a hedge of protection around each one of them as they seek to go about their sacred task. Father, Please be, be patient with our country. Give us a little more time to repent. Uh, give, us, give us the revival, the awakening, the reformation we must have uh, in our nation. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for any and all victories that are won. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, gentlemen. And I hope you'll send an email. Just stop what you're doing right now and send an email. God bless you. Dr. Lamb, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.